Hey guys, thanks for tuning back into Truth Radio, a podcast station dedicated to bringing the body of Christ together through the Word of God, prayer, and testimony. On Truth Radio, we don't allow our past to define who we are, but we allow the Word of God to show us who we are in His Son, Jesus Christ. Let's begin. Thanks for tuning back in. Today we're going to jump right into Matthew 14. So if you have a hot second, pause this, go grab your Bibles, do uh, whatever it is that you got to do to just stay focused on the Word of God. Uh, for me, that looks like a cup of coffee and the Bible sitting in front of me. So I'm just going to start reading in 14 and just kind of go section by section here, um, starting at 1. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the reports of Jesus. And he said to his attendants, This is John the Baptist. He is risen from the dead. That is why the miraculous powers are at work in him. Now Herod had arrested John and bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, his brother's, his brother Philip's wife. For John had been saying to him, It is not lawful for you to have her. Herod wanted to kill John, but was afraid of the people because they considered John prophet. On Herod's birthday, the daughter of Herodias danced for the guest and pleased Herod so much that he promised an oath to give her whatever she asked. Prompted by her mother, she said, give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. The king was distressed, but because of his oath his and his dinner guests, he ordered that her request be granted, and John was beheaded in the prison. His head was brought in on a platter and given to the girl who carried it to her mother. John's disciples came and took his body and buried it. Then they went and they told Jesus. I think it's funny to think about how Herod really quickly knows that the people hold John the Baptist in high regard. And we have to remember that John the Baptist was actually like a first cousin or second cousin to Jesus. Jesus' mother Mary um, was Elizabeth's niece. And I, I could be wrong on that, but I believe that that's, that's how it is. And my uh, Aunt Nikki, if she ever listens to this, will totally correct me. And I, I embrace that. I enjoy correction so long as it's done in love. But we kind of look at the fact that Herod wanted to at first kill John the Baptist, but because of his fear of what the people would do. I mean, you have to think that people held John the Baptist as a prophet. And when they're up in that kind of a a stature in the community's eyes, they are regarded with respect. And all that John actually did was try to correct Herod and love by saying, yo, you can't have your brother's wife. Like, And that's the, that's the craziest thing is that when correction is being brought to somebody, and they're living in in unrepentant sin, their anger will overtake them. And because of that, Herod had John the Baptist thrown into prison. And then we look at Herod's birthday, where the daughter of Herodias started to dance for the guests. And Herod was so pleased by this that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked for. And we have to think and remember that it was her mom that really wanted the head of John the Baptist and, and, and her daughter was just doing something to please her mom. 
But in that, I mean, it's just kind of a, a twisted story all around, especially when we um, try to remember who John the Baptist was and, and what he did for the kingdom of God. Like how evil this whole scene truly is. It's easy just to read over it and take it for what it is, and that's okay too. But we have to, like, seriously, like, this is the devil at work. And this is, I mean, John the Baptist, the one who made the way for Jesus, and he was a voice crying out in the wilderness, prepare ye away for the Lord. And it's just, it's, it's a lot. And when John's, and starting in 11, his head was brought in on a platter and given to the girl who carried it to her mother. It was almost like a trophy. And like, just demented. Twelve, John's disciples came and took his body and buried it, and they went and told Jesus. And this is kind of how Jesus responds here, and we're going to jump right into 13. When Jesus heard what happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and he saw a huge crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. So even in Jesus' time of mourning, and you have to, like, uh, it was mourning, and I'm sure a little bit of rejoicing too, but but John, being a friend of Jesus, being somebody who had led the way in for him to do his ministry, Jesus wanted to get into a place of solitude where it was just him and God. And we don't know what happened in that time of his solitude, except that when he did try to leave, the crowds followed him because there was still work to be done for them. And isn't that funny? Don't we do that sometimes? Or even if with people in our lives when they're going through something, it's like they don't get a break, so we're going to go to them and, and we're going to expect something. We, we want, we're coming with an expectation to receive. And that's what these people were doing. And even then, in the morning of the entire situation, Jesus had compassion and started to just heal the sick. I mean, what what a God. 15. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. I love this response. Jesus replied, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. Could you imagine being a disciple at that time? Like, <laughs> you give them something to eat. Like, what do we do in this situation? That's what I would think personally. Even knowing that just a couple chapters back, Jesus has already fed thousands and thousands and thousands of people through miracles. But Jesus didn't jump into the spot of, I'm going to do it. He said, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And their response is priceless. We here, we have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. And Jesus said, bring them here to me. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up into heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 baskets full of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. Not every time, but most times that the Bible talks about a certain number, such as in this instance, 5,000. You know, at the end it says 5,000 men. Uh, and 
women and children. So really you're looking at a number in the 15,000s. Um, that's, that's quite a number to feed with five loaves and two fish. And, and here's something that I like to take away from just this small um, area in Scripture, 13 to 21, where we come to Jesus with what little we have. And to us, it, it could be everything. It's, it's all that we have. And we give it over to him. And he takes what seems so insignificant to us. And there's an abundance afterwards. When Jesus gets his hands on it, it multiplies. When Jesus is trusted, it's, it, it's multiplied. And I think that's kind of how we have to approach the cross at times. Not at times, but at all times is to come to God humbly, this is all I have. And that's what, they, that's what the, the disciples said. We have here only five loaves and two fish. Like, at first it kind of sounds like a, a, an excuse, but really it was almost a concern. <laughs> like, Lord, uh, we only have five and two. And the Lord took that and, and there was much. And there was leftovers. How amazing. 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him on the other side, to the other side, while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up into the mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already considerably, considerable, ugh, sorry, a considerable, oh my goodness, a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because of the wind that was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come out to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. When they crossed over and they when they crossed over, they landed in Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized Jesus, they said, they sent word to all the surrounding country. People brought all their sick to them to him and begged him to let their sick touch just the edge of his cloak. And all who were touched were healed. I mean, let's let's back up a little bit um, to just verse 22. We, we look at this next section of scripture and a word that pops up a lot, at least in the NIV version, is immediately. Jesus wastes no time. In 22, immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And this was 
this had purpose behind it because Jesus wanted to get alone with his father and just pray. And, and for Jesus, I'm sure it was just talking. <laughs> you know, we, we almost overthink prayer. It is one of the most powerful tools that we have as humans. And, and Jesus just had to get alone with the Lord and just pray. Um, later that night, he was there alone and the boat was already a considerable distance from the land I got at that time, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. It's interesting to me that Jesus waited until later that night, which was probably early morning. Shortly before dawn, which is why I think it was early morning, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said. And, and that's an understatement. I would be pretty freaked out myself. Um, just because, uh, well, it's not every day you see that. And I think it is so, um, well, let me, let me go back to 27 here. But Jesus immediately, once again, immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. And the faith of Peter, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come. Could you imagine what Peter must have been thinking when Jesus replied, come? Like, uh, <laughs> oh no, like now I actually have to take this step. And I, and I think for myself personally, I do this in my own walk where I decide to um, put out a fleece, so to speak, or I put out this this opportunity to really trust Jesus, and it's scary. And just like Peter, I'll get out of the situation, and when I start to see all the chaos around me, just as Peter did, I start to sink or fall away or fall short. And, and once again, Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said, why did you doubt? Do you guys ever doubt God? And it's not a trick question. I think that if we're seriously honest about our own walk and we take a deep inventory of our lives, there are many of us, if not all of us, that have at one point in our lives doubted Jesus. We doubted our faith. We've doubted like our place in the world. Like, why am I, why am I here? And you guys just heard that with me on the last podcast. Like, <laughs> but God's got a plan. And I, and I want to tell you that God's got a plan for you. And God had a plan for Peter, even in the middle of his sinking, because of what Peter's actions were. We're talking about this thousands of years later and it is continuing to inspire people today on just the deity and the sovereignty of Jesus Christ I wonder who else was in the boat because it says in 33 then those who were in the boat worshipped him saying truly you are the son of God now he sent his disciples which means that there must have been other people that were kind of manning the boat, that were the sailors, so to speak. 
people that also must have doubted to where when they figured out that yes this is Jesus they shouted out and they worshipped and said you are truly the son of God When they crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized Jesus, they sent word to all the surrounding country. And people brought all their sick to him and begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of their cloak. And all who touched it were healed. Are you in a place in your life today where you're doubting about something? where you're struggling to focus your eyes just on Jesus because you see the storm in your peripheral vision. And it's becoming to be so much that you take your eyes off of Jesus and you become distracted. I don't think that there's a a reason that you're listening to this today. That doesn't sound right. I don't think it's a mistake that you're listening to this today. Because if you're in that place where the storm's getting a little too big and focusing on Jesus is getting just a little hard, cry out, Lord, save me. It's almost like Peter foretold what was going to happen to those who were sick in Gennesaret. Peter begged. God, save me. Lord, save me. And in 36, those who were sick yelled out and begged to him, just let us touch the edge of your cloak. What faith, what trust. And I wish we could read more into those who were healed at that time. Like what what happened after that? What happened at what what took place after the healing? Did they just go about their lives? Did they try to follow Jesus? Did they Did they fall away and have to come back and then fall away again and have to come back because we get stuck in this realization that we're human and that we make mistakes over and over and over again and And at some point, real soon here, in the life of Jesus, he's going to go away. And I can't help but wonder, those people that got to actually touch Jesus, touch his cloak, be around him, listen to the words that came out of his mouth, if there was mourning when they realized that they couldn't have access to the Son of God the way that they could have, or that they did have beforehand. Did they take his teachings more seriously? Did the Holy Spirit come and reach them after the Son of God had gone to the cross and down to the grave and and now he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. Did the Holy Spirit come to them and, and comfort them in their time of need like he does to us today? Whatever it is 
that you're going through. Whatever doubts you have, whatever questions you have for God, just ask them. You know, God says to come to the throne boldly. And just like Jesus, sometimes, we, guys, we just need to get alone. Shut off our phones, turn off the music, and just get to our prayer closet or your room and just cry out, Jesus, save me. And I tell you what, if you listen really closely, you might just hear a whisper of the Holy Spirit because he wants to talk to you. He wants to talk to you the way that Jesus got to talk to all these crowds of sick people, all these tens of thousands of people that got to hear him. He didn't do it in vain. He did it out of love, the same way that the Holy Spirit wants to instruct and teach us in love. So as you guys go about your day or your night or or whenever you are listening to this, take a moment today to get alone and to cry out, Abba, save me. I hope you guys got something out of this. Until next time, this is Joey with Truth Radio.